Hey friend, I'm Beth Ann Schwamberger, host of the Brilliant Business Moms podcast. This show is all about brilliant women, just like you, who are growing their businesses in the margins. You're juggling nap time and work time, wiping up messes with writing blogs, and I don't believe you need big, impressive numbers or shiny accolades behind your name to be brilliant. This show is about realistic, doable strategies that will work for you and your business right where you are. Big and little wins are celebrated here, and every single one of my listeners is a big deal in my book. Grab your coffee, and maybe the laundry, and be encouraged by business mamas who'll make working in the margins just a little more fun. So today on the show, I'm so excited to be talking with Pratima Aravupumi of craftstreetdesign.com. She has an incredible business selling beautiful, inspirational quote prints, and I just love your mission, Pratima, and everything you're doing, and so welcome to the show. Thank you for having me with them. It's wonderful to be here. Yay. So I would love to hear first how Craft Street Design, how that got started. It was a while ago. Well, actually, the inspiration for Craft Street came from, you know, prior to that, but I started it in 2015. And when uh, I had no clue what I was doing, I had three other businesses that didn't go so well prior to that. And then I had started Craft Street. I was inspired by like my own life events. I'm a avid quote user. And when I say quote user, that just sounds like some type of odd thing that I've been on. But I mean, I put them up for inspiration and they help me through the day in, in a more ways than one. And so I thought, okay, I, at that time, the printable market was not you know that large. So I had no idea whether the product would sell. And so, yeah, I started with a lot of doubts, but I'm glad I did. It was was just wonderful. Yeah. And inspirational quotes, I think you've mentioned on your site. I mean, they've, they've helped you get through some difficult times as well. So as I think, you know, for a lot of us, that's the case of, you know, having that quote that reminds you of your purpose or gives you that encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. I was absolutely struggling so much. You know, I had come to the country very new and I had an arranged marriage and it was, I mean, I was very young. I was 21 and it was, it was absolutely crazy to just move away and with the, you know, a person that I didn't know. And it ended up being, and this is quite common in the, I'm Indian and, you know, in the Indian culture, this is quite common. It's not that, you know, it has nothing to do with the arranged marriage itself. It's just that he and I were just so different, very different people. And it, you know, for me at that time, it was just a hard time. I had, you know, gotten to the point of having to drink during the day just to get out of bed to feel better. I mean, I had gotten to the, you know, not my proudest moment, but it was just hard. Getting through the day was hard. And at that time, I used to have these inspirational quotes around me. Not that I put them up. I didn't actually. They were gifts from other people. And I had them on my fridge and walls. And subconsciously, I think you just read them, glance through them, and they make impressions in your you know, head and they influence you to some extent. I'm not saying you can get inspired by them, but you still have to take action, right? So at the end of the day, you know, I had to end the marriage and it was just, 
I think they gave me life. So I just wanted to make sure that I do the same for the others. And when I thought about what business to start, I thought, okay, that's a great idea. This should help other people. So that's how yeah. I I love that too, that what you were saying were these, these were gifts that people gave you that ended up encouraging you, helping you through such a hard time. And so, like you said, now you give other people the ability to do that for each other. I just think that's amazing. And I just have to say, you are so brave and tough for, I mean, I just can't imagine, you know, you've married someone, you've just recently met and then you're moving to a brand new country. I mean, yeah, that's incredibly tough. So I'm just inspired by your story. And it, it sounds like you've, I don't know, does, do you feel like more like you found your home here or how, how do you feel currently? Of course, uh, it's been uh, almost, I've lived half my life here right now. So uh, to me, India is the place I grew up, but this is the place that I call home now. I mean, I've just yeah. become part of the part of America. But, you know, it's always a place that was there. So for me, I'm split because I'm exactly half my life has been here. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I've been to India a couple of times and we keep planning. I mean, we thought maybe by this summer, I guess it kind of probably depends on what's happening with the pandemic and things, but we really want to go back and bring both Holden and Levi back with us. So yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful country. I, yeah, I love it. Okay. So you, you started Craft Street Design in 2015. How were you making sales in those early days? So when I started, I had doubts about the product itself, right? So I was selling on a company called a marketplace. It was like Etsy, but it was called Darby Smart. I don't know if anybody knows about this. I think now they changed their business model and I don't know if they're even <laughs> in business right now. But anyway, they had a site called darbysmart.com and I used to sell, I had a bunch of listings and I tried to sell over there and that's how I got my, you know, first $7 sale. And it's just like, yay, somebody bought it, you know, super excited about the seven bucks. It was, it's not just that it was $7, but it was the fact that somebody, you know, it's a validation that it, it's going to work. But after that is when I started doing other things. Then I had my Instagram following and I was doing quite active at that time on social. From there, I got some inquiries to, for yoga studios that wanted a couple of prints. And then I realized, okay, so there's a whole new market that I had no, I mean, I, I never thought that it would go into a yoga studio. I was looking to sell to regular, you know, people like me who would buy for their homes while redecorating or something, right? But I found this whole market. So I decided to actually go after that market. And I started selling specifically to them in person. And that's how I got, you know, many of my first few sales. Wow. Okay. So you would go in person to, uh, yeah, I guess just tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. So I, so I would, I had a list of yoga studios that I would Google you know, any particular local area. And I would just, I obviously, I'm from California right now. So I started at that time also in California. 
And so in the beginning, I just would show up at the studio and uh, ask who the owner was. I would call, but I would never get the owner, you know, on the thing because they're probably teaching. And these are not franchises, the ones that I chose. They're usually, you know, single person studios that are running as a classes or service, that type of thing. So I would never get the owner on the call because they just too busy running classes. So I would just show up and talk to them and then I would have samples, I would show it to them and then that's how I ended up selling to them. I love it. It's just, I mean, sometimes you do just have to pound the pavement as they say. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of those expressions, right? You know, to get those early sales. So I think that's really neat. And then I know you were on that platform online. So you were kind of selling through there. Are there other marketing strategies that you were using as well? So then, you know, I started selling online. It was great because, you know, I did more of it, obviously. But after about like seven months and I reached my revenue goals for that year, the problem was I couldn't scale, right? Like this is getting difficult. I had... You know, I was thinking at one point to have wraps and, you know, it was just a disaster trying to sell in person all the time. So I started thinking more of online and wholesale at that point. And uh, I also got a wholesale inquiry through Instagram as well. So I had my first wholesale even before I knew what a line sheet or, you know, what any of that was. And we sold it to the Disney store in California at the time. So we're like, yeah, this is exciting. So that was validated. So while I was pursuing that, I still wanted to sell directly to consumers. And that's when I started opening my Etsy shop and Amazon Handmade was open, uh, I think, maybe, you know, another six months later, it was open. So I was on that. I was getting some, you know, online sales going that way. But it was mostly marketplaces. Nothing was to my site. There were probably two sales a month to my site. So there was hardly any traffic to the site. Okay. It's the tough problem for a shop owner is, yeah, how to get traffic to our own shops that are out in this huge internet. You know, (laughs) it's hard to get found. As far as Etsy versus Amazon Marketplace, I'm curious, which one are you able to bring in more sales from? So it's interesting, right? So both Etsy and Handmade, okay, so if I have, they're very close in terms of how much revenue they bring, but they are for on an annual basis. But if I did quarterly, they both have different seasons and then they both sell different products. So the, so I think I just found a different customer on one marketplace and then another type of customer on Etsy's. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. That is so interesting. So I'm curious, like which one has, what are, what are the different seasons and how are the customers different? So on Amazon Marketplace, I have men also buying and quite a bit of motivational posters sell on Amazon, especially, you know, during the months from January to March. I'm trying to move a little bit away from this uh, right now, but a lot of, you know, like the, for the lack of a better word, very table thumping type of motivation posters, very harsh ones, you know, those are the ones that sell really well on Amazon. I have no idea why, but they also buy larger sizes and they end up spending more. So it's, 
it's a it's interesting and but on etsy i find a lot of people want to buy things such as slowing down or things around self-care and it's it's a and it's obviously mostly women so it's kind of yeah it's it's a i think two different customers that is it's just so interesting to me how there's that yeah that huge difference between the types of customers mm-hmm. you bring in on each platform <laughs> that's fascinating but yeah as soon as you're talking about the type of product i'm like oh yep that one's gonna attract the men more and this one's definitely attracting the women more it's that's that's pretty funny okay so you mentioned getting found on Instagram to sell in the Disney store. I'm curious what you were doing or, you know, what, what's your general strategy on Instagram to be able to get found by customers there? At that time, I didn't have one. <laughs> I was just really posting the product. And even now, I'm not actually very active on Instagram right now. But whatever following that I built was from I think three years ago, I think 2017 is when my last post was. But the uh, way I was finding is that I was posting product, actual product as prints, of course, but, you know, making it more Instagrammable, right, to make it more visually appealing. But other than that, I didn't really have a strategy. I had an active I was actively trying to increase my own following. So that's what I was doing. But other than that. I didn't have a whole lot at that time. Okay. So, and then in terms of increasing your own following, was it a matter of kind of searching and finding and engaging with people that you thought might be interested in your products? Yeah. Also, at that time, I was looking at other similar shops like competitors and, you know, who had sometimes they're not selling the same prints, but they have same similar aesthetic. And then I would engage with that brand to be more visible and then engage with the followers. So that's how I tried to, at at that time, like I said, I didn't know where my place was in the market. So I was trying like a bunch of different things and I increased followers doing this. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Again, it's another like grassroots strategy. It's, you know, as a newer business owner, we often have to, you know, try a lot of things like that. I mean, I, I did a ton of things early on that, you know, they're not necessarily massively scalable, but they really do help you get those first eyeballs on your shop and those first sales. So I think that's great. So you joined the ads intensive for the summer 2020 round, Mm -hmm. which what a ride that was. (laughs) I have to say, I'm just so proud of my, all my students from 2020, because I'm like, we have seen... I have not seen, you know, just ads manager and just how Facebook ads work change so quickly before 2020. Yes, things always change, but this has been a roller coaster of a year. But I know that you were able to do quite well with your ads. So I would love to, you know, just hear more about that. And I, I, the other thing I thought was interesting is I don't think you had sales with that first campaign. Is that right? Yeah. So so I was thinking, I think August and end of August, I think was when I started like my first campaign. I had done some engagement campaigns prior to that, but like, that's it, right? Like there was no, there was no sales. There was no data on anything, but all that you've taught uh, <laughs> did not have any sale, but it took, I think about 
two two to three weeks before I started seeing like there is some engagement and getting that you know ad right and then I started seeing sales okay so I'm trying to remember back what were the different changes like uh, were there certain things you kind of picked up on from the first couple of campaigns that didn't have sales that then you were able to kind of take that and finally you know bring those sales in in my case, I had a bunch of problems around pricing, around, you know, people. So the problem was that people were coming to the site from the ad, but I had a lot of issues on the product page itself, which I did not know there were issues. I mean, it, it did fine <laughs> before that, right? But I had to uh, try changing different things before figuring that out. And then the first conversion happened. And and then I made a whole bunch of changes after that as well. But I think it's a, as you have taught us, it's an ongoing process, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I think I try to remind people too of like, hey, you might have a couple of campaigns without sales, but that doesn't mean that, that you know, that that's how it's going to continue. You know, we try to look at the data and see what it's telling us. You know, occasionally the data is a little bit confusing. Like I'll look at someone's data and go, why are people not buying? You know, so occasionally we run into that. But yeah, I just love that you kept trying. And I'd love to hear how your ads kind of went. Once you started making sales kind of through the, you know, September and through the fall, how have your ads gone? The ads have gone really, really well. <laughs> After those first few sales, I think I was not scaling very much. I was still very scared. I was doing, I think, $100 a week or something after that. Uh, the conversion rate on the shop is still low. It's not the greatest, but I still managed to break the ROAS. And so I was profitable within about five weeks after starting. So it's fantastic. I mean, there are fantastic CDRs from click-through rates have gone. I almost average between 5 and 20%. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. It's very high. CDRs are excellent, which is why I'm able to be profitable, even though the conversion rate is not that great. But yeah, I've seen ROASs anywhere from like, seven to 12 and even like if you look at the lifetime it's around I think five point something right now yeah it's it's been fantastic and I've had a great Christmas quarter right like it's been really good oh yay oh that's so exciting okay so I'm curious when you say your shop conversion rate isn't very good do you mind sharing like the percentage yeah, it is right now at point, it's averages, right? Like, so it depends on which time period you're looking at. So for, let's say, 30 days, it's at 0.07. Okay. Uh, it's less than 1%, which is crazy, right? For, I would expect at least a 1%. But if you look at three months averages, it's at 0.05. Okay. Yeah, super low. And I've noticed, so the numbers between add to cart and checkout are great. So okay. once people add to cart, they finish buying. Okay. No problem, right? Yeah. And of course, there are abandoned carts, but it's not alarmingly high compared to a regular e-commerce, you know, benchmark type of stats. Right. But people adding to the cart is the problem. And like, I'm still working on that and like trying to 
hopefully figure out how and why people are not adding, you know, things with pricing and trying a few different things right now. But, but yeah, I have no clue at this point. It's just, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely something interesting to test though. I love how you're wanting to test pricing and then maybe testing, well, you probably have already tested like sending them to listings where a different kind of style of photo is shown first or a different kind of introductory sentence or, you know, different words early on. Yeah, some of those are limited in scope in the sense of, so I can't change the title as often. Uh, right? Because my Google SEO and all of that get messed up and I have some shopping campaigns running. So like, I can't change some things, but which is why I was going to try the landing page and see if that, you know, that way I can make those changes and check if one of those things is a problem. Yeah. I I don't know. Okay. Now, are you making most of your sales then by sending people directly to one individual shop listing and not so much from a sales page or landing page type of thing? Yeah, at this time, I have not tested the sales page at all, which is another thing, like I said, that I have to test out. But then being a physical product store, I know you've said this so many times, I'm just nervous because, you know, sometimes people browse away from the listing and buy other things, right? So I'm very nervous about putting them on the landing page, but I do have to test that out. At this point, yeah, they're all going just to the shop. To the shop, got it. Yeah, well, I mean, I will say, I I try to let shop owners know like, hey, you can, yeah, you can send people right to a shop listing or sometimes a shop category page. I always have shop owners though who are super ambitious and they're like, nope, I'm doing the sales page like all those digital sellers are doing. And I'm like, that's awesome. But also you still might, <laughs> like you still might find that the shop works better. But yeah, like you said, I mean, there's always things to test. So you may a year from now realize like, oh, there's a certain type of killer, you know, sales page format that totally works. But yeah, I mean, I just think that's interesting for people to hear that. Yep. You can, you know, show an ad of one of your great quote prints and send them right to that listing and that that works. And, you know, even though your shop conversion rate, you're wanting to get that up, your click-through rates are so amazing that those two stats are kind of balancing each other out. So that's fun. Do you have any insight on like the type of ad image that works best for you to, you know, convert someone into a customer? Yeah. So I've tried different creatives, right? I've tried lifestyle images. I've tried prints without frames because, you know, I've gotten inquiries from customers. Like I'll have, I'll have a print with a frame, like a mock-up. And then somebody will ask me, can I buy the frame? So, so I've, you know, I've switched that up. Now I actually also sell frames with the prints. Uh, So I've added to it because I also thought like that might be a conversion issue. So I quickly added that. But, uh, but yeah, from images point of view, frames pick the print along with a frame with some lifestyle items around it is the one that works best. But if you have somebody in the picture holding the frame or doing other things, it's just, no, I've tried different colors and different images and different hands holding, sometimes a person holding, they just don't work, uh, which is strange because I see all these ads for others working with that, but it's just not working for the print for whatever reason, I don't know. 
Okay, that's so interesting. And so when you say the print in the frame with some lifestyle images around, is it like a flatly shot or more like a, you know, leaning against something shot? So I have the one that's leaning against the wall. I have tested out the flat lay. The problem with the flat lay is I've not been able to find a good background. So what happens is that I do white on white flat lays and those didn't convert well. It barely distinguishes itself from the background. So I haven't gotten around to trying different backgrounds. I don't see why that wouldn't work. It's just I haven't tested it like to answer that, but yeah. Okay. And then do most of your ad creatives have like no words on them? I mean, obviously your prints have words, but it's basically just like, here's this lovely photo that shows off my product. No, I've tested it with and without headlines. The ones with headlines are the ones that work better for me. Okay. I have like, it's, it's so strange when you're showing off a product, you would think that that'd be enough, but it like, it never converts. I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about this uh, distinct difference, like between like five and 6% to like one and 1. 1.5. So, I mean, it's a huge difference with that. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I definitely need a headline and the sub headline is what I vary that's not making that much of a difference so okay do you mind sharing what headline works the best yeah sure I have a bunch of different ones the ones that say the very first one uh, that we worked on in the intensive that's the one that still is working really well it's called the most thoughtful gift ever then the second one that's working really well is most heartfelt gift Mm. yeah I love that. I just think that's good for people to know because one of the things I hear from so many advertising experts is, you know, try to just use a lifestyle photo and make it look, you know, just like something they would see a friend share on Instagram. And I'm like, I I get the sentiment there. Like I get that we don't want to look like a cheesy, tacky advertisement, obviously. But what I have found when I used to sell physical products planners and for most of my students is that it's like, if it blends in too much to the feed, then it's, it doesn't get their attention. It's like, Oh yeah, pretty picture. Um, okay. get, keep going. So like, yeah, having that something there, the, the headlines that says here, you know, here's what this is, whether it's yeah, a print or, you know, I have students who sell baby bibs or <laughs> yeah, wax melts for, you know, scented candle types of things. But yeah, it's for for most of my students, I would say the headline, having some words on that creative really helps. Yeah, I thought it was a season, right? Like, because, you know, most thoughtful gift, it's a season. But even after in January, also the past week, it's just, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's strange. Okay. (laughs) Well, and some businesses too, all year round are still a business where people are often buying it as a gift for somebody else. So I wonder if that's just the case where no matter what time of year it is, your customers are coming to you wanting to, you know, give your print as a gift, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Okay. I am curious, share what you're comfortable sharing or not sharing. I know you said your overall ROAS for the last several months. So for those who might not know what ROAS is, we, I feel like I'm using this term all the time and forgetting. So it stands for return on ad spend. So ROAS. 
I know your overall row, as you said, was a little over a five. Do you mind sharing like how much you spent on ads, what your revenue looked like, anything along those lines? Yeah. So when I started all of September, I think I spent $700. That was it. In that month, I didn't have much profit at all, but the revenue was at $890 for the first month. Then in October, we had all sorts of confusion with Facebook shutting (laughs) accounts and all sorts of odd stuff happening in that month. But I ended up spending almost four grand in October and had about 12,300 as my sales. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was was really good. In spite of, you know, all sorts of things happening, it was a great month. Then in November, I ended up spending almost 23000 a little less than 23000 on ads because, you know, it was the Black Friday month and I figured that's the best time to make the most of it, right? So yeah, I ended up scaling to all sorts of products and went to at 56000 for, uh, yeah. And December, I actually scaled back because I thought that, you know, people would have finished shopping. So, but people actually bought from 20 days ago back in December. So my ad spend was less in December, but I made really good sales for that month as well. So, okay. Yeah. It's been a really good quarter for me. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm curious how many different, you know, types of prints are you advertising at any given time? So I started with only one product. Then I went up to, I think, five. I tried different, you know, I had too many variations to test. So I went with five other products. And in my case, because the prints were so different, right? Like I hadn't I didn't create different aesthetics, but the words on the print mattered as to who bought it. So basically I was trying different target audiences as well. As soon as I increase five products, now everything has changed for those five products. So that's what happened. And then in December, I was running ads to almost, uh, I'm sorry, in November, I was running ads to almost 11 products at the, at the peak. But there's always a winner among those products. It's just... I still have my very first product sell the best, which is, yeah, which is strange, but which is fine with me as long as, you know, if your business works that way, then I can try and work on, you know, email marketing and, you know, other kinds of stuff to cross sell it at a later point. So either way, it, it still works and it worked great. Yeah. Oh, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I know for digital sellers, that is so often the case where like we have one winning offer and we just kind of try to scale that up as much as we can to all that ice cold traffic. And that's kind of how we win a new customer. And then, like you said, yeah, email marketing, we follow up, we can show them other offers later. So I think that's so interesting that even for, you know, a physical product, you're seeing something similar that here's the one clear winner. But I do love that you're continuing to test other things because especially in your case where you can have quotes that are so different from each other, like you said, that gives you the opportunity to try to target all sorts of different types of audiences. So do you, with that one print that's your, you know, your best seller, is it typically running to multiple audiences at any given time? 
Yes, I am testing new audiences all the time. And I also give gaps between running to the same audience as well, even though it's large enough, because I just feel like people might just get bored of it after a while. But there are people who make repeat purchases through the same ads, which is, uh, which is funny. You know, I do send emails and stuff, but they buy the same product three times. So that, that will happen. But yeah, I do test um, different audiences at all times. Okay. Every day I'm learning something new about the audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I just launched the campaign this week and was like, I'm just going to take kind of refresh all these different lookalikes and try different kind of percentages. And this one's value-based and not in a worldwide versus only some countries. And yeah, there's always so much to test. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's why you've been so successful is, and I have to say too, I feel like after we kind of got going, you haven't really had very many questions <laughs> as a student. I'm always like, I wonder how Pratima is doing because, you know, I th- you just kind of go and do your thing and, and test and see what the data shows you. Yeah, it's it's more like I, I figured what would Bethan say and she would probably say tested. <laughs> like, how is she going to know anything? I mean, that's what she's, you know, so I, I think I'm, I'm also... I generally am like that. So I analyze more before I talk to people, right? So that's probably why I don't ask so many questions. But no, you've been so helpful in whatever, you know, I needed to know. You've been like so such a good teacher. So. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you've been a great student. I mean, I got to be honest, you're like kind of a teacher's dream because I mean, I remember, you know, helping you early on as we do with every student of like, you know, here's kind of how to do the graphics and the ad copy and all that and kind of helping you pick what print we thought would work best and the audiences. But then, yes, like you just said, after that point, it it was like you had your foundation and you just went for it and started testing. And so it's just been easy. I'm just like, oh, yay, go, Pratima. <laughs> like, it's just more cheering you on. Okay, I am curious because I find that for, for different advertisers, there can be different campaign structures and ways of doing things that work so differently. Especially this year, I find myself kind of shifting back and forth on what styles and stru- like how I'm structuring my campaigns. So I'm curious yeah, like what campaign structures are working best for you? I'm doing the uh, the very first one you taught us. That's all I've been doing. The the same one. I do try. I have tried lifetime budgets, and on and off they work really well. Like last month, I think lifetime budgets were like the best. But in November, they didn't do so well. So it's kind of. I mean. It's just fluctuating so much. But other than that, I haven't changed the structure too much. It has just been for conversions and, you know, purchases. But my lookalike audiences don't work that great, which is strange. Even at like 200 sales per product, they don't work. So there's still a a whole bunch of things that I still have to figure out. And also other uh, types of conversions and engagement. I haven't tried any of that. There's. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I have to do. Okay. Well, but I mean, holy moly, the fact that you scaled up to over 20 grand of ad spend in a month and had, you know, amazing profits on that level is just incredible. Okay. So then that's my other question. 
how did you go about scaling? Were you doing the gradual budget increases on campaigns or was it, you know, something different? So for the first two products, I did do get gradual increases, but I didn't stick to that 20% mark. I just, at some one point, I went off to doing 100 and 200 increases per day because for me, I kind of knew the slots of purchases or the customers, right? Like, so I uh, looked at that and so I was blocking off customers from purchase, I mean, the ads from running in certain times, I was scheduling it. So I had, I had only a, like a three or four hour window every evening and every morning to make purchases. So I had to like really throw money at it to make sure that it was getting the maximum. So I did not stick to the 20%, but it worked out. So, but, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, the group that other people are you know, struggling sometimes to scale. So I don't know, it worked for me this year, I mean, last year, so. Okay, so with the only having a few hours in the morning and the evening, so those were like for your lifetime budget campaigns? Yeah. Okay. Those for the, yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say, I don't know another way to schedule it that way unless you're like toggling, you know, ad sets on and off. So then on the lifetime budget campaigns, you could add a hundred bucks or 200 per day to the one that we're doing well. Okay, got it. And then would you do them for like a 10 day period or a 30 day period or like how long did you do? I started with five day, five day things because sometimes, so depending on which weekend, some were not shopping weekends, I think because of political climate and you know, all sorts of stuff, right? Like we had, crazy last year but so because of that uh, I had to put them only for five days and I've been monitoring even in those five days it's not like set and forget and there are some campaigns that tanked you know during the election time and a couple of weeks before that so I had to readjust and then you think that you don't you won't get purchases in the morning and evening because uh, you know because of this political climate and and that schedule just shifts the next week so yeah it's been it's been it's been up and down so but you know in December I was able to run 10 day campaigns but I most for the most part I stuck to 5 days and adding more to it yeah okay oh that's so interesting and then okay one more question so for the lifetime, if you would do like a five-day campaign, let's say, what budget would you start it at typically? So when I first tried lifetime budget campaigns, I started at like 500 and then I increased it to 1,000 within the week, right? But now I started like 2,000 and 3,000 because I just know, you know, yeah. what's going to happen. But for a new product, obviously, you know, that's not what I do. So <laughs> I'm still nervous about losing uh, even if it's like 500 bucks, I'm like, I have no idea how to, you know, how to go about this. So I don't do that. But for products that are, that I know are working, that's what I do. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then are you doing the multiple ad sets that are kind of all a similar size? So I have to switch to that. So I know you had taught us to put, you know, test different ad creatives and copy as ads. And then the audiences, right, as ad sets. So I just do one campaign, one ad set, and one creative. I just do one, one, and one. I don't, like, I've tried the others. They always go up and down, and they seem to tank quicker for me. So I've 
I switched to that like I think a month after and that seemed to work for me. So I just stayed that way. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's like, see, yeah, these are the things that, oh, I need to start writing down all the different possibilities because even I forget sometimes because yeah, there's so many different ways to go with our, like how our campaigns are. So Pratima, it has been so much fun to chat with you today. There's one more thing I'd I'd just love to hear from you. If you could tell another woman out there who's thinking about getting started with her business, what would you want her to know? Well, (laughs) that's a loaded question, Bethan. (laughs) But yeah, like, don't give up. I've had so many ups and downs. You know, I've had the business go to six figures the very first year. Then I've had wholesale uh, business side of business like take off all with zero sales on the website. And then I've had that tank this year, right? And I've had fantastic Facebook ads and then they have tanked again, right? Like, so, you know, there's like lots of ups and downs. Be prepared for it and not give up. I think at the end of the day, that's what matters. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. And just always being able to be creative and and pivot if things are, yeah, if we, if we hit a sticking point and you've just done that so well in your business. Well, thank you again, Pratima, for hanging out with me today and um, being willing to chat and just remind everyone where's the best place for them to find you online. Thank you, Bethan, first of all, for having me, but the best place is to reach out on Craft Street Design. There is a, you know, contact form or email address, but you can also reach me at uh, bithimers.com. It's a new website that I'm starting. So you can reach me there too. What's the name of the second website? It is bithimers, B-I-T-I-M-E-R-C-E.com. Okay. Yeah, that's where I'm teaching new business owners. Start their e-commerce stores. So yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yay. Yeah. We'll definitely send people there too. Well, thank you again. Thank you with them. 